Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Good morning. I'm Sarah, the pastor here at Crozet United Methodist Church, and we're so grateful that you have joined us for our worship this morning. We are going to share with you a couple of announcements before we move into our worship service. The first is we want to remind you that there are children's activity sheets for both our younger and our older children that are in the link in the text below that you can find, and we hope that you will be able to download those, print them out if you want, and use them to help edify our children with what we're doing today. And also, we want to remind our preschoolers that tune in that this week, when you have the opportunity to peruse in our, vir our virtual preschool, that you can name the, the miniature pony that Jesus has acquired during our period of isolation. So we've already had some preschoolers give us some excellent names, and we look forward to receiving some more names, and we'll love the stories that you guys are sharing. So feel free to let us know not just the name that you think the pony should have, but why you think that pony should have the name, and look forward to receiving what you have to share. Also, today at 10.30, after we conclude our worship service, we're going to be hosting a virtual fellowship. And so you can exit out of this video and then log on to our virtual fellowship. It's easy. It's fun. You can just click the link in the comments there below and join us. And those of us that are gathered here will be dropping in to say hello, and hopefully it'll give you an opportunity to connect with some of the people that you've been missing in worship. And we look forward to doing that today. And also want to remind you that May 31st is Pentecost. And unfortunately, with the current work that we are doing and following the the suggestions and the requirements from both the CDC and our bishop, we are not going to be able to have in-person worship on Pentecost. And since that is the big celebration of the birth of the church and it has been our tradition and our habit to wear red, we are encouraging you to celebrate and show us how you're doing it. Maybe your whole household puts on red and takes a picture and posts it on social media. Maybe you guys decorate your front door in red. Maybe you hang up happy birthday accoutrement and show the whole world that the church is celebrating once more when the Holy Spirit came and truly started to make us into the body of Christ. So we encourage you to share those with us and look forward to seeing them. And we do want to let you know that the governor has relaxed certain requirements. And late this week, our bishop did issue definitive guidance for in-person worship, both of which will define the path as we seek to reopen our doors only when it is safe and we can ensure that we have all of our best practices in place. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be working on our supporting plan, and we'll be sharing that with you as we move into June. But we want to assure you that our focus is on health and safety of you, our staff, our volunteers, and our community. We want to do everything that we can to prevent others from getting sick and still be able to do what you want to do. So as we work through those, we would appreciate your prayers, and we look forward to sharing that with you very soon, because we certainly miss you. And so without further delay, I'm going to invite you to join me in singing our first hymn. It is number 310 in the United Methodist hymnal, He Lives. Oh, 
to move into children's time. Our children are very important to us, and we certainly have missed you. And so I want to share with you a little something that I have been doing. So I know that a lot of our families have been getting out and exercising, and I recently acquired a new bike. And this is a new bike for me. I've had a lot of different bikes, but this is a bike that can go off-roading, and I can go mountain biking in the trails that are here around Crozet, and I look forward to doing that. But this bike is a little different in that I have special shoes that are not quite as fabulous as my regular shoes that click into my pedals. And so they lock my feet onto my pedals so that when I am pedaling, I can't just pull my feet off and stop and put my feet on the ground. And so I learned really quickly that I needed to practice that. And I haven't had to practice riding a bike in a long time. So what I did was I got out my bike and I actually went to a big grassy field and I clicked in my shoes and I practiced and I made sure that I took my bike helmet, uh, which as you can see is very clearly my bike helmet. Um, I made this bike helmet and then I covered it in the rhinestones and so I made it my own and I don't think I've ever seen another one. But this is my bike helmet and I wanted to wear it because I had a feeling that I wasn't going to stay up on my bike the whole time and I was right. I actually ended up falling off three times as I was learning how to slow down and I, there's a special way I have to turn my foot in order to unclick it and get it out of the pedal and so I can stop and put my feet on the ground. And, and one of the things that I learned that I want to share with you is that sometimes it's really hard to do something different. Even if it's something that we've kind of always done before, like riding a bike. I've been riding a bike since I was six, and I've had a whole bunch of different bikes. But this was the first time that I had a bike that had these special pedals. And so it was a little different for me. And I wanted to make sure that I had my helmet because I didn't want to fall and hurt myself, and I didn't want to hit my head for sure. And so I've known some people that have had really bad accidents on their bikes, and people that didn't have helmets were really, really hurt. And people that did have helmets were able to get up and walk away. And they might have had a headache or they might have had some bumps and bruises like I have today. But they didn't hurt themselves permanently. And so this is just one of the ways in which God helps us to remember that when we do something different, it could feel a little scary. You can get frustrated. I know I got frustrated not being able to put my feet on the ground as quickly as I wanted, or I got frustrated because I'm not used to falling. And so that was hard for me too. And I have some bumps and bruises today, but I can tell you that the cool thing was that that was my first ride yesterday. And then in the evening, I got to take another ride after dinner and I got to ride around on the roads here in Crozet before it got dark. And you know what? I didn't fall at all that time. But it took some time that I fell, and every time I fell, I learned something different. I learned, oh, I should probably take my right foot out first because that's my dominant foot. Or I learned, hey, if you're going to fall, there's a right way to fall. And I learned that too. And so what I want to share with you is that sometimes when we do something, it can be scary. 
and it's okay to try something new and not get it on the first time. It's okay. And we as Christians do this a lot. God asks us to try new things like reading new books about Jesus or reading new parts of the Bible or doing new things when we come to church, whether it's doing different worship or having different roles in church. And those can be kind of scary and we think, you know what, I just want to do what I've always done. But God encourages us because we get stronger and we get better, and I'm going to get healthier if I keep riding my bike. And so I want you to remember that no matter what, God has ensured that we are going to be safe because we have a whole group of people with us that love us and take care of us. And somebody very smart figured out that you can make a helmet and keep your head safe. And so I use that, and we do that with other things in our church. That's why we wash our hands, or that's why we wear masks. That's why we are careful to cough into our elbows, because we want to take care of each other and not get each other sick or injured. And so I hope that as you are getting ready to come back out into the world, that you think about the ways that you can do new things, but at the same time still be safe and be smart about it. So would love to see your helmets. I wonder what your helmets look like. They have some that have cool mohawks. I do not have a mohawk helmet. Maybe that'll be my next helmet. So as we are continuing with our worship, I hope you think about ways in which you can try something new safely, but still explore this wonderful world that God has given us. And I can't wait to see you all again when I'm out riding my bike. Actually, I'm going to put this over here because we're very excited right now that Gary is actually going to sing for us this morning. We're really excited that he is going to sing our anthem, Somebody Bigger Than You and I. Who made the tree? Who made the river flow to the sea? And who hung the moon in the starry sky? Somebody that's bigger than you and I. Who made the flowers bloom in the spring? Who wrote this song for the robin to sing? And who sends a rain when the earth is dry? Somebody bigger than you and I. He lights the way when the road is long. Keeps you company With love to guide you He walks beside you Just like he walks with me When I am weary Filled with despair Who gives me courage to go on from there? And who gives you faith that will never die? Somebody bigger than you and I. He lights the way when the road is long. 
you company with love to guide you he walks beside you just like he walks with me when i am weary filled with despair who gives you courage to go on and on from there and who gives you faith that will never die somebody bigger somebody bigger than you He's usually tucked behind our keyboard or our piano, and so it's nice to have him. And thank you, John, for accompanying. John's usually out here singing for us, so we've had some role reversal today, which is kind of exciting. So I'm going to be sharing with you in a moment the gospel account of Luke chapter 23, verses 50, through chapter 24, verses 9. But before I do that, I want to take a moment and center ourselves in prayer. Will you pray with me? Lord, we continue to abide in this state of isolation. And as we are yearning to be reconnected both with you and with others, we ask that you would help us to find the best way to do that, to keep us and others safe. Help us, Lord, to hear your word and to be encouraged, to be equipped to do the work ahead of us. Thank you, almighty God, for your incredible grace, for the reminder that because you love us, you forgive us, and you set us free from guilt and from death. Because of your incredible grace, we are able to live each day new. We are able to start again and try to be good disciples, good neighbors, and good Christians to all this world. May it be so, Almighty God. We have such a deep longing to be reunited in your home with you and with others who seek to honor and glorify your name. May it come as you lead us into this, and help us to be the very best that we can be, that others will not see us, but Christ in and through us. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I invite you to hear these words. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, who, though a member of the council, had not agreed with their plan in action. He came from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid it in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. 
Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners, and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven, and to all the rest. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we have been in the midst of our worship series that is using not only scripture, but this testimony from a prolific Christian, C.S. Lewis. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was a story that he had originally written for children because he was trying to make Christianity touchable, draw it close so that children of all ages could understand it. And as he composed this incredible story, he drew upon the tradition and the doctrine and the theology of Christianity to create a story. And as we have been kind of looking through the themes and the characters and the imagery and the metaphor of the story, we come now to the stone table. So in the story, there is this landmark, this incredible place called the stone table. It is carved with ancient writing, and there it is not just a meeting place and a gathering place, but it becomes a place of sacrifice and selflessness on the part of Aslan, our messianic Christ figure. And so as we are thinking about where did that come from, there's a rich history of stone in the scriptures. If we go all the way back into Genesis, we quickly find that as the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, have encounters with God, they choose to mark them. They choose to set up physical reminders, monuments of those encounters, so that as they were traveling or as they were going about their daily lives, when they saw these stone monuments, they would be reminded. It was not to remind God that they had been there but to remind themselves of the incredible experiences that they had with God. And so they would erect stone monuments. In fact, in uh, the, book, the prophetic books of Samuel, we find out that one time they erect a, a stone monument and they call it their Ebenezer, saying that the Lord had brought them so far. And so when you hear that word Ebenezer, that's where it comes from. It's actually a stone monument. But one of the great things about stone is that it is much more permanent than other building materials that people had at the time. Living in tents made of cloth or animal skin, those had to be repeatedly repaired or replaced. And wood could dry out and rot or it could become wet soaked and it would no longer have its shape, it would become worse. But stone didn't have that same problem. Stone had a permanence to it, and so that's why they chose to use stone. And there are multiple places in the scriptures, both the old and the new, where stone becomes very important to us. We have the stone tablets that it says that the finger of God wrote down the commandments upon, gave to Moses so that he could give to the people. Of course, the first set Moses destroyed when he was angry at what they had been doing while he was gone. But the second set were preserved and placed in the Ark of the Covenant as kind of a hope chest that as the people were traveling into the promised land, they would be able to open up this incredible piece of holy furniture and there find written in stone signs of the covenant, that they were not only on God's mind, but in God's heart, and therefore upheld in God's hands. So stone has a long, rich tradition, both of God-fearing and God-believing people wanting to show God that they remember and that they celebrated and honored the experiences they had. 
tells us that when Jacob had a dream, he was actually using a stone as a pillow, which can sound kind of strange to us in these days, but he was using a stone for a pillow and he had a dream, a vision of angels going up and down a ladder, which is why we call it Jacob's Ladder. And in that vision, he saw that God was very much having this presence between earth and heaven. And so when he woke up, it said he took the stone that he was using his pillow and he set it up as a monument to this encounter and this experience that he had. It encourages us to do the same. If you've ever been into hiking or walking around wilderness trails, you've probably seen some stone monuments. And sometimes it's people testing their patience and their skill of balance, balancing rocks on one another. Sometimes you'll find people that will carve a stone so that it will mark that they were there. There was a time where a number of people here in our community of Crozet were painting rocks and leaving them around with messages of hope and peace for other people to find and be encouraged and inspired. And stones have remained that way. But one of the important things that we find is that stones become a place of transformation in the New Testament. It is upon a rocky mount that Jesus preaches the Beatitudes, where Jesus will tell the world that it is not as the world says, but instead God expects a new way of being, where we as the body of Christ seek to bless those who are poor in spirit, those who are meek, those who mourn, those who are persecuted for the name of Jesus that we will surround them with a loving and affirming community and remind them that they are not forsaken or forgotten, but that God loves them and that love is as firm a foundation as the stone upon which Christ stood that day. We are also reminded in the scripture text that I shared with you this morning that stone was the place where the resurrection happened. Jesus was crucified on a wooden cross, but afterwards Joseph of Arimathea asked to receive his body and honor it by placing it in the tomb that he had cut for, for himself. And he had not, of course, used this tomb, and so Jesus was placed in there. And the women who had been following the apostles around and following Jesus and taking care of all of them watched and witnessed, knew where the tomb was, and they went to pay their respects after they had their Sabbath day of rest as the commandments, the very same commandments that were written in stone by the finger of God on those stone tablets indicated. After their rest, they brought back the spices in order to once more perfume and pay homage to Jesus. But when they arrived, something had been transformed. The stone itself no longer looked the same. The stone door was rolled away, and when they entered in, they found that Jesus was gone. Now, in the story, C.S. Lewis uses the same phenomenon with Aslan. While he is sacrificed on the stone table by the white witch and her minions, he is left there on the stone, and the next day the stone cracks, and it has been transformed, and he himself has been resurrected, which is one of the signs that Aslan is standing in for Jesus. He too is resurrected, and nothing will ever be the same. Just as that tomb will never be the same that they laid Jesus in, so too will our world never be the same. And we witness this in the story in that Susan and Lucy, who had followed Aslan and received his permission to walk with him that last part of his journey, also hid and watched as he was sacrificed, not because he had done anything wrong, but because he refused to let the white witch have their brother Edmund. And so he stood in place of Edmund, just as Jesus stands in place of all of us for the guilt that we have incurred through our sin. 
But on that day when he was resurrected, the stone cracked, just like the stone tomb was different. And their life was restored. But the irony is that stone is not alive. It is not living and breathing like plants or birds or animals or even insects. It is completely different. And there are multiple places in Scripture that testify to the natural state of stone. So in the beginning, when people would erect these monuments and they started making altars to worship God, we have our altar here. Of course, our altar is made out of wood because over time, Christians became much more fond of wood. We could preserve it better in air-conditioned and, and temperature-controlled sanctuaries. And we're also kind of fond of the intricacy that we can carve in wood. But originally, it was not about that. Originally in the scriptures, God actually told the people, don't make things out of wood because you have a temptation to carve them. And then you tend to carve images of me that are not correct, so don't do that. But instead, just take the rock as it is. Because while rock can be carved, while rock can be manipulated and molded, oftentimes rock is rough. Oftentimes it is not perfect. And it actually symbolizes that we are not perfect. And yet we come as we are. And God loves us as we are, loves us exactly as we present ourselves, not because we put on a veneer and we change how we look, but because God recognizes that we are God's people, just as we were born, just as we have grown to be. And God loves us as we are. Now, the beautiful thing about stone is that even without carving it into the shapes of animals or other images that you might portray as God, stone can be polished it can receive this beautiful shine, and it is able to radiate light back. And I think that's one of the beautiful metaphors of stone in the scriptures, is that when they were first in instructed to build altars, they were told to do it out of unhewn rock. They weren't supposed to get all crazy and carve it up. They were supposed to present it as it was, and it was supposed to be something that wouldn't fall with the wind, and it wouldn't be washed away with the rain, but instead it would stand the test of time. Because God's love for us and willingness to stay with us is eternal. It will stand the test of time. There is no wind or rain that will ever wash that away. Just like there's no amount of sin that we can commit that God isn't willing to forgive. And so when we look back on that stone, when we think about how it functions in the scripture, it's important for us to see that. In fact, there are a lot of scholars that think that we misunderstood and misinterpreted something in our time of translation in the early days of creating the written Bible. That actually, when we thought Jesus was a carpenter, we misunderstood because Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time talking about woodworking and carpentry. Instead, Jesus spends a lot of time talking about stone. He even says, I am the rock, the cornerstone that the builders rejected. And he talks about Peter you are the rock upon which I will build my church. Not, I hope there's a firm foundation because I have to figure out how to make the wood straight. Instead, Jesus talks a lot about that. And we suspect that he, like his father Joseph, was probably a stonemason, knew how to work with stone, which took incredible patience, for it wasn't easy and it took time. That's why he knew so much about building. That's why when he looked at the temple upon entering in Jerusalem during what we consider to be Holy Week, he looked at the stone facade of the temple and he said, this will be torn down and rebuilt, alluding to the fact that he himself, this temple, would be torn down and rebuilt. It's incredible for us to take a look and see all the ways in which God uses stone to remind us of eternal truths. 
And the best of those is the one that I read for you on Easter. They thought that by sealing the bodies away, that death would be contained. But what they didn't realize is that there is no death that contains God's grace and love. That none of that could be stopped. It couldn't be stopped by death on the cross. It couldn't be stopped by the human betrayal. It couldn't be stopped by earthly pain and suffering. It couldn't be stopped by death and locking him away in the tomb. Because on the third day, he rose again. And he lives for all of us. A living reminder that there is no sin, no mistakes, no period of separation, no hard word, no, in, no action that was incorrect that can keep us from God. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that, especially if we are feeling separated, especially if we feel isolated. We need to remember that God's love is as firm a foundation as the strongest bedrock, that we are the people that stand upon promises from God. The firm foundation that we rely upon when the whole world seems to be quaking in fear and in anticipation of death and disease, the firm foundation is God. And we have to hear God reminding us, I am with you and I am for you. Oftentimes we quote a lot of things from the Bible, but we don't always focus on some of the most intelligent things that Jesus said that can give us strength now. Where Jesus said, don't fear people that can hurt the body. And the prophet Isaiah says, the Lord is with me, whom shall I fear? And sometimes when we are feeling weak and vulnerable, fear rises in us. But we are not called to be a people of fear. We are called to be a people of faith and eternal hope. We are a people that choose not to respond out of our fear. Yes, we can get afraid. Yes, we are a people that recognize that our bodies can feel pain and can suffer and they can die. But God promises us that death is not the end. And that no matter what happens to these bodies, God has a body for us that will never cry, it will never feel pain, it will never sin, and it will never die. And that body is God's gift to us on the day of resurrection. So we have to live like people who are respectful of one another, but not that we fear, that we are thoughtful, for God has given us the incredible gift of a rational mind. That same mind that C.S. Lewis harnessed to create the story that has spoken to generations. So many people don't recognize what they have been given. They have been given an allegory of Christendom. They have been taught about Jesus Christ long before they ever knew who Jesus Christ was. And because of that incredible use of his gift and his words, C.S. Lewis was able to introduce generations and people far outside of the church to the concept of someone that is willing to die for those that they do not love in the same way that we know love as human beings. That instead the love that Aslan gave for Edmund and the love that Jesus Christ gives for us is far beyond anything we can fathom. Divine love is bigger and better than anything we can experience. And for those who have experienced love in this world, it is so powerful and profound, and yet God's is even more than that. So it gives us a glimpse. It helps us to recognize that there is something truly phenomenal that God has yet to reveal to us. And it is that hope that sustains us in times like this. Now, there have been a number of things that have happened in the course of our isolation that have disturbed us. 
There has been suffering and there has been death. There has been violence and there has been hatred spewed with words. But we are not a people who respond out of fear. We are a people who choose to respond with all that God has given us, our free will, a heart like Jesus Christ, a mind that has the ability to think and to reason and to come up with creative solutions that aren't about saving the one, but blessing all. And as we continue to pursue that, may we be reminded not only in the scriptures and in the gifts of other Christians like C.S. Lewis and those who write the hymns that we sing this day, but in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that we have not been forgotten or forsaken, that God is very much still with us, whether it come in the form of the movement and the response of the Holy Spirit, the reminder that God is enlivened in people that we know and who love us deeply. Sometimes it is our family or our friends or our family of faith. But assuredly, God continues to speak God continues to act, and God is trying with all that God is to show us that we are forgiven and loved. Amen. We have to open ourselves up to that and not have hearts of stone, but hearts that Christ has remade. God has transformed stone not only into a metaphor, but also a reminder that God's love will always triumph. And we are a people who have been not only gifted that love for ourselves, but we have been tasked with sharing that same love to the world. May that be what inspires us this coming week, to find ways to remind people that their firm foundation is Jesus Christ, and he has not been moved, and that the love that was poured out from the cross has not been overturned. It has not been sealed away, never again to be revealed, but instead it has found new ways to reveal itself. And some of those new ways are us. May we begin to show the world hope, love, and inspire them to be transformed as we are being transformed by a God who loves and forgives and never abandons us. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Now in our worship, we take a moment to give thanks to God for the good things that we have experienced. And above all of those is God's love and grace. But it's also the time when we are given the opportunity to honor God with our gifts, usually our tithes and our offerings. And we want to thank so many of you who have been a part of that, people who have never set foot in our church or people who we have not yet met face to face, but who have been so kind and generous not only have you supported this body of Christ and the ministries that we have here in Crozet, but you have honored and glorified God. And the most incredible thing about our God that we serve is that God takes those gifts that were presented for God's glory and transforms them into a means of grace. Here in Crozet, we talk about every person and every act of kindness and mercy and every gift being woven by the Holy Spirit into a fabric of faith that blankets not just Crozet, but far beyond our borders because God's love is not truncated by the things that we think stop us. God's love is able to go far beyond. And so one of the miraculous things that we can do is give because it enables our faith and our desire 
to bless and not burden, to go further than we can go right now. Our gifts have been able to continue to fund our ministry to feed the hungry. It has been able to continue to fund our desire to worship and encourage and edify those who feel displaced and dwelling in darkness. But above all, your gifts have enabled us to plan with liberty the time when we will be able to gather again, the time when we will be able to not only ramp up our missions and our ministries, but begin new ones. So thank you for your gratitude. And in honor of all that we have received on behalf of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I'd like to lead us in a moment of prayer. Will you pray with me? Lord, freely we have received from you. Freely may we give. Not out of obligation or fear, but out of faith and a desire to bless others in your name. We are so grateful that while there was a time when offerings were consumed by fire or a time when they were not part of the fabric of faith that we now see them as, you came and you reminded us that God loves all. And so our gifts are part of our faith in action. It gives form to our belief and our desire to show others that they too are forgiven, loved, and freed. And for all that is given in your name for your honor and glory this week, May it become part of that same honor and tradition to help those that are in need, to be a means of grace to those who seek a balm for their suffering, and above all, to show those that feel lost and forsaken that they are yours and that there is a place where you have prepared for them to receive your goodness and your grace, not just for a day, but for all time. May you lead us all closer together and such closer to you. Thanks be to you, almighty God, for the gifts that you have given to us, that you allow us to give freely to others. Amen. Amen. We're going to invite you to join us for our closing hymn. It is 467 in the United Methodist hymnal, Trust and Obey.
to remind you that at the conclusion of our worship series, our service today, you can log on and join us for virtual fellowship. We're going to finish up in here and swing by and say hello, and hopefully you'll have the opportunity to connect with some of the other people that have been as you are in isolation, but still very much present and involved in the body of Christ. And so we commend that to you. And lastly, I pray that you will receive this benediction. God Almighty is our firm foundation, the rock upon which we stand. And when we feel that we have been shaken by the pain and the suffering of this world, or when we feel that we are isolated and alone, God seeks to remind us that nothing can shake the ground upon which we stand, the foundation upon which we are built through the gift of the Holy Spirit and the faith of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May that guide you and guard you, edify you and encourage you in the days ahead. And we look forward to gathering once more in the name of our Lord and Savior. May you go forth in peace this day in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one now and forever. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.